you want to get in the data science field, it is never late, no matter which part of your career you are. Hey everyone, I am Rish and welcome to Inspired, the podcast, the community featuring inspiring people across numerous disciplines with passion to share their wisdom with us. In each episode, I will have insightful and fun conversations with inspiring people on their professional journey, their successes, struggles, lessons learned, and much more. I'm happy to welcome our guests for today, Vijay Yadav, Director of Quantitative Sciences, Digital Data and Analytics at Merck. Vijay oversees the data science team that creates AI ML-driven data products in this capacity. Vijay is an expert in data analytics with more than 20 years of experience in software development, data engineering, and advanced analytics. He has vast experience directing a global team of data scientists, engineers, full-stack developers to achieve high-impact results. Vijay, thank you so much for joining us today, and it is great to having you, having you on Inspired. Thank you, Rish. Uh, happy to be here, and I'm looking forward to our conversation. Thanks. So in today's episode, we will be discussing about building data and analytics strategy, defining data products and its roadmap, role of AI and ML products, especially in life science domain or organizations, and also about building and mentoring, growing or scaling the data science team. But before we dive into these topics, could you share about your like over 20 years of experience journey and your role at Merck as well? Thank you, Rish. Um, you know, before coming to your podcast last night, I was reflecting this 20 plus years of journey. And um, it was really surreal for me to, to have those, you know, memories and coming back and reflecting on those. And I can tell you that, you know, it, it is full of, you know, ups and downs and, you know, some successes and there have been failures and sometimes catastrophe type of failure. Uh, but there have been a lot of learnings during that process as well. Um, you know, I started my, my educational background is in computer science, and I did my specialization in artificial intelligence a long time ago. Such an abstract subject, I was not even sure what I was going to do with that. But after my master's, I started my career in, in software development um, uh, with, uh, with a company in a Birla group in India, a big business house, but that was a couple of years in India, but then I moved to US. I was brought in um, someone, an expert in uh, IBM mid-range computing. Uh, in those days, you know, DB2400 was one of the leading databases and I was a specialized trained person. I was brought in um, to do that. Um, so I was in insurance uh, domain, basically developing a software uh, a very data intensive uh, solution. And then I uh, joined a company, Astra USA, it's a pharmaceutical company. I was with them for a long, long time. My initial days, um, you know, I developed primarily in the commercial space. So, you know, as you know, uh, at the drug product company, go and sell the product in the marketplace, in the field, you know, meeting with the doctors. So this is a very data intensive uh, where doctors write the script, you collect all the data, understand you know, what the company is, prescription is getting written and what the competition is written. So how do we analyze the competition data so that you can align your resources, sales rep and folks. Um, Salesforce.com, if you know that, came in 
late uh, close to 2000s. But prior to that, I developed actually lead a team to very equivalent of salesforce.com. How do we manage the relationship with, with the you know, Salesforce and the customers and doctors, HCP, uh, very data intensive. Um, and that's where my skill in data modeling, data engineering piece and visualization, of course, we didn't call any data science at the time. It was more like a business intelligence and forecasting type of model that we basically did. So I, I was in that role uh, developing multiple uh, data heavy systems um, and forecasting models. Um, and you know also some of the operation side up as well. And then I was very much interested in the business process management. So one of the areas that I, I where was curious as to any type to take any business process. I was very, very research focused as to why certain process work and why certain process doesn't work. If you bring 10, you know, 20 people in the room and then you say, okay, let's map out the process. Let's go and implement it. And the very next day you see the people complaining about the process. It's a broken, it just doesn't work. I was really curious to understand as to why is that so? So I did some very much research on that. And I developed some of the methodology where you can really understand whether the process is going to work or not before you implement it, um, <clears throat> just to see. And you can literally simulate that piece before you implement it. Uh, that was really powerful. And that brought me the very data inside focus. So if I can read the data behind the process and tell whether the process is going to work or not, that's pretty cool insight. You can go back and change the process, simulate it, and you know you can see, okay, now it is looks like optimized process, right? So I did some work uh, for that one. I, I at one time I I won innovation award in AstraZeneca, um, and then I did few years in compliance field. You know I'm very much information security uh, kind of person. Um, I really understand information security, all different compliances that space. All this skill set basically came to my as a strength when I got into the data science field, right? So having a very heavy business domain knowledge, understanding the data, also dealing with a large set of data, but dealing with the compliance. All those components, when I got into data science field, it came to me as a strength. And I, I that's, that's what basically played into my roles where we are today. Um, I have with Merck for more than three years now, three and a half years. And I can tell you that an experience has been really great. Um, and we have been able to develop some of the, the cutting edge solution for Merck using AI ML, and we can talk more about that. Um, and so the journey has been really, really great. Um, I am fortunate to have some of the mentors in my life and career. I really attribute some of the success I have gotten uh, to them uh, and people that I've learned from um, and I people that I helped them as well um, give back, right? Uh, so, so far it has been a very satisfying journey for me in, and in data analytics field. I'm still looking forward to years to come to even make a bigger contribution. Thanks for sharing that incredible journey and you put it so, you simplified it when you mentioned about uh, what played as a strength when you looked into like data science as a field or data science leadership, like it's a combination of business, understanding the data and how you simplified, like, okay, I can like optimize this, 
I can read the data. That means I can optimize this. And that's what led to data science. That's right. That's Beautiful exactly right. Effort. Yeah. And as we know about, you know, from your experience now, you are a seasoned leader in data analytics and data science space and have led, you know, numerous data analytics strategy initiatives. Uh, what I would like to also discuss and probably learn from your experience as well as if you can share how a like how does an organization start with defining their data analytics strategy and b what would what do you think would be the different pillars of the data analytics strategy yeah no that's a very fundamental and, and great question so i would i would say the first question would be okay so who owns that right who exactly owns this strategy so the ownership really comes with the play now traditionally if you see uh, you know, that there's a technology function in every company, right? So um, in some of the company, they are the own, they are the owner of the data and analytics strategy. Certain functions where the business basically belongs to, right? So I think, and when we talk about data and analytics strategy, it is nothing but business strategy itself. It has to be aligned with that. It is, it is not a separate thing, right? So even though we're calling data analytics strategy, end of the day, what the business strategy is and how data can help really to drive the strategy. So I don't decouple them, they're together actually. So a very logical place that it belongs is to the business, right? So I think deciding the ownership is the first piece of it, right? The, and I'll talk about the, some of the other pillars as well. So part of the strategy should be, we talked earlier is that where is the company wants to go next three to five years or 10 years, whatever the strategy is, right? So end of the day, I think we need to really understand that, that strategy, where we want to go and how data and analytics can help in that vision, right? So it's nothing short term, understanding that business strategy and aligning that piece. And we can talk a little bit more how to do about that, go about doing that. But I think that's the number one fundamental pillar of that is just, kind of confirming where the ownership belongs, what the strategy is, how do we measure the success of the, you know, that strategy, right? The value itself to do that. So that's the first pillar itself, right? The second pillar would be, I would say the operating model. Now, if you can look at that, there's a lot of players into the play, right? So business is one, data function we are setting up the, the other, you know, component. Then we got IT functions, or technology functions, right? And there are, uh, you know, there might be a partner you are bringing from outside, right? They have played a role. And within the business itself, there are so many department functions that you have to have, right? So since we're talking the strategy at the top level, how do you bring all those business unit operating units together, right? What does the handshake looks like? Where should we drop? Who should we interact with? So if you got 10 departments and you got only one data analytics function at the top, who should be talking to? Who is authorized to do that, right? So it's more like integration of the interface between the business and the data function and technology function and external partner. You should be able to clarify that. And that's really, really important. If you, and majority of the time when that clarity is not there, that's where you see basically misaligned. So defining the operating model also includes the portfolio. There are so many problems to solve, right? And we talked about that, all the problems that we should be able to solve is in a strategic way, right? So if the company wants to go in next to five to 10 years somewhere, then 
basically want to make sure that we are solving the problem to meet that basically need. So that's a kind of second pillar. How do we do the operating model? So let me stop there. If there are any follow-up question, I can go. Otherwise, I can go to the next pillar. I can describe that. No, I think it's pretty clear. Uh, we can carry on. Yeah. So the third one I'll go about the data assets itself, right? So, you know, we all call data is a gold, data is a water, you know. Uh, so if that is, is so precious, how do we protect it? How do we build it, right? It could be any other asset that we, we know in our human life, right? So, and building the data assets is not about getting some data and dumping into the you know, data lake. I mean, that's the one thing if, if I see in the failure in the past has been, if you recall, everybody thought that once the data lake comes into play, we're going to solve the world's problem because the data is there, right? But that is not the case. I treat uh, a data lake and, and the methodology where you dump the data in the data lake is more like a, in the house where four walls and the only thing is open from the top. So there's no window, there's no ladder. So things get dropped from the top. Now as a user, you're trying to figure out, okay, I don't have a window and a ladder. How do I go on the top and try to see? You just go yourself. Now you're swimming in data. You don't know where to get, right? So the philosophy of the data assets management is how do you democratize the data that I'm a user, let's say I'm a shop floor. I'm not interested in supply chain. I'm not interested in finance data. I'm not interested in something else. Give me the data that belongs to, to my domain so I can go and search. I understand the better. So how do we go and build about that, the data democratize? That is a really critical piece of it, right? So that's basically a third pillar. And the fourth one would be, in order to do all those things, what is going to enable that in terms of the infrastructure, the data platform itself, people, you know, talent is the one what is going to make things happen. We can have all the data in the data lake, but you know, we need a talent basically do that. So in terms of, uh, you know, data infrastructure, platform itself, the people and the tools and technology, right? So if we are data scientists, you know, trying to develop the solution, what kind of tools are we giving to them? Um, and sometimes the tools are not there, you know, we try to do things, but then the speed gets slower. So having that, data and um, analytics enablement is another function. So these pillars are really, when we design the strategy, we want to make sure somebody is leading that piece, right? And that's the key actually. So the fifth pillar is the data product management. So think about the concept of the product management is, you know, I am building, let's say a phone, you know, if I'm Apple iPhone, right? You treat, treat this as a product. What does it basically means is that a product can be consumed by many, many people. So I'm not developing a product for one set of group of people. I'm developing one product that can consume by large audience, right? So that's a philosophy. So when we go and develop a solution, I'm not developing a solution for one function. I, my solution should be able to make the need of the you know, broader audience within a company, right? And there's a whole philosophy goes around the data product management. Not a lot of companies are moving in that direction. It's a really critical piece. If you, I know you are in Google, Google is big on the data product side of it, right? And you see how they're treated. Technology function, that is not very prevalent into you know, pharma and other industry, but that is such a critical piece to it, right? To do that. And the last piece I would say the culture, huge difference, right? 
we can come up with all kinds of cool technology and solution. If it is not getting adopted and the culture is also adopting the change, right? So in a company, you know, when I am joining a company, one thing that I really look for is that if I'm coming here and I know I can develop a solution, is the culture of the companies adopt the change? If things are moving slow, right? Then I basically most likely it's, it's, the impact is not going to be that big. It's going to be frustration and disappointment. So culture is a big part. When I talk about the culture, the mindset, it is not one set of people. There are three people, there are three entities in the culture piece. One is the company itself, the value of the company, right? The second is the leadership. What is the mindset of the leaders in the company? And the third piece is the people themselves, the talent that we have basically, how they are feeling. Are they buying into what the company is trying to do with data, right? Um, are they confident that they can deliver this, right? So, so at the company level, at the leadership level, at the people level, all those things, you know, really a culture is a big part of that. And somebody, we need to manage that and we can talk more about that. So those are the six pillars in my view, my experience, I think a really critical piece. It's a, it's a playbook. So anyone who's listening to this, uh, it's, it's kind of playbook that they can take and say, if I want to implement data analytics strategy, these are the pillars I need to look at. And obviously it's, it's not one of the easiest jobs, right? It comes up with its own challenges. Technology has their own say, executives have their own say. So like there are always challenges. So what do you think are the challenges one could potentially face, especially when getting a buy-in from C-suites on the data analytics strategy? And you know, oh how my. you think you can convince them or even show the potential impact that it could bring on the business, even before it's implemented, uh, you know, rather than getting into implementation, how do you convince them before that? Yeah, that is such a critical question. Uh, and I can tell you that this is not easy. Based on my experience, the C suite have been burned before. So data is not something new, right? The data function or technology function have been selling the idea of data to the C-suite for a long time. What has happened in the process is that, you know, these teams have gone to C-suite and say, you know what, give me $50 million. This is what I'm going to deliver for you. Unfortunately, you know, due to various reasons, so we can talk about that, the value that came out of those investments was not great. So ROI was not great. And this has happened over the years. Now imagine if I'm a you know, C-suite person, I'm investing, I got a bad experience in my profile. And I, if I come and, and join that and try to make the case, go in front of the C-suite, say, you know what? I have heard this story before. I'm really not bought into this, right? So there's a bad case that has gone really bad. And as someone like new coming and trying to make the case, it doesn't fly that easy. I can tell you is, is couple of things. Value story is the only thing that can stick with them. Telling the story, the value story, out of the possibility and showing them with a small, and I've done it, frankly speaking, um, in my role. That's what I, I do it. So I say, I'm not asking $50 million. I'm asking this amount. And I'll show that to you. If, if we come back and prove the value, then are you willing to invest? And if the answer is yes, let, let's work on that and go with that, right? So 
I think showing the value is the only way. I, I cannot go and talk in front of them all, you know, cool stuff, AI, ML, and this thing, they will turn out really quick, right? Um, and, you know, frankly speaking, and uh, once with the value story and um, showing the quick wins, that's what basically gets into that, right? Uh, one of the, and I, I can talk more on, on that side as well, but I think there is there are a couple of other things that can be basically done is one important thing is setting the expectation. So what has happened in the past is that sometimes you go in and try to feel like we are going to the moon, right? So if you give me $50 million, I'll take the company to the moon, right? That's that's expectation that you know you never know going to meet, right? So I think setting the right expectation is another key to the success, right? I say, I'm not gonna take you to the moon, but I'll take you to the first floor. <laughs> if you can give me this much of money, right? Yeah. If I'm the first floor, I'm, I'm a closure by eight feet to the moon, right? And if I can build the second, third and fourth or fifth floor, then I'm, I'm getting basically closer. And I, I, I told you the bad case in, in the minds of the C-suite is it's like that. There's so many bad stories that, you know, sending the moon, setting the expectation wrong is bound to be failed, right? So it is not in favor of data and technology function, frankly speaking. Just for the mm -hmm. sake of money, you go over promise and you don't deliver. Your metrics has gone down bad. Your records is not that good. Right. Next time you try to make the case, sorry, <laughs> you don't have a case to make, right? So I think those are some of the things that can be done. Yeah, right. And also like one of the also challenge that comes up once you have sold it, say things go well, right? What you have sold today or what you have thought today might not be correct or might not be the best thing to do tomorrow, right? Because consumer behavior has changed, you know, the ever-changing world, technologies have evolved uh, and we have to react to it. So what you have defined today may not be sufficient tomorrow to gain that competitive advantage. How do you ensure that the data strategy that you have defined now is ever evolving or is refined and keeps up with the changing business needs or it can even adapt to the changing business needs yeah i know that is such a, a great segue that you basically got into that so i'll answer the question other element that i want to um see that is basically uh, uh failing that that piece is sometime we get money and try to solve the problem. And it turns out that that's not the problem that we should be solving. Business has different problem to solve, right? So that is where I was trying to make the case is that it was really critically important that we pick up the business problem that aligns with the business need. Are we solving the real problem? The point I'm trying to make is, right? If you don't pick up the right problem, no matter how cool it is, solution is, the value is going to be not there, right? The other element that is really important is that uh, sometimes the solution is, is there, but nobody's willing to adopt it. So change management goes out the window, right? So having the change management is really critical pieces. So when you're trying to go and sell to the C-suite, the other piece is that is sponsorship, right? It is a change and you want to make sure that you take the sponsorship from the top level so when it's ready to be done, you can basically go and implement the change. 
coming back to your, your question that I wanted to address that. So I have talked about this topic. I believe every company is a technology company. And if they should be thinking like that. When I say technology, I'm talking about every company is a data company on top of whatever the business domain they are in. So if the pharma company is making pharmaceutical, you must think is that you are also in the business of data. One of the prime examples and every company should look to is Moderna Pharmaceuticals. So Moderna vaccines, right? If you look at the CEO statement, when he came in, Stephen Bonsell, his name, he said, Moderna is a technology company, but it happens into pharma industry. That is their model. Is we're a technology company, but it happens that we are in pharma as well. So it's other way around. Data first, technology first, and then you domain the other way around, right? Now, what he means by that is that our business process so when I say technology company, we have built a business process which is fully integrated and the data is flowing right from left to right. So every data piece is connected throughout that company. If you recall when COVID situation happens, they were the first one to respond. And I think that is where your question was going, is that what kind of company setup can we do that we can make the rapid change? Uh, we can deal with the rapid change in what is happening around us. And Moderna is a great example. I think is, if anybody wants to understand the case study, they are the one. And that's a claim, the reason they were able to come up with the vaccine because they were robust in their process. They had the data that were flowing right from the beginning, though no piece of data was a kind of disjointed. Everything was set up. And they have been working on that when they established themselves in 2010. Um, and they said right from the beginning, they hired a person who were really, really focused on that aspect. When the situation came in, they didn't know the COVID is going to be there. And boom, they had to be ready to deal with that, right? So having a strong business process and your data underlying data connected is, is definitely is, is going to be making more uh, flexible to deal with this change in the situation, right? And the business model, right? So one thing I, I can tell you is that, you know, sometime a company is one business area, but over time they might switch to different business model, right? So think about Uber. Uber were in the business of a kind of transporting people, but now they are Uber Eats, right? So how you supplement that? So if you have your primary business and you have a strong business process, you want to leverage the data to go to a different business model, a different subsidiary, business type of that, right? So if you have those data elements really put together, flexibility to adding a new business model, different source of revenue um, is, is basically would be much more uh, better way to handle. Right. Hopefully that makes sense. Yeah, and I didn't know about the Moderna case study. It's a, that's a new thing. I'm definitely gonna check that out. Yeah, out. please. Um, they, are, they are the road model for any company um, especially the pharmaceuticals. Got it. Uh, talking about business, different business domains, right? Uh, you mentioned about data analytics strategy or the pillars, right? 
do you think that could be applied to organizations under different business domains or any business domains or do, would you say it gets tailored on depending on the business domain let's say in case of life science organizations yeah uh, where no. you have such a vast experience yeah so think about it's all about the business outcome right so if we are in a pharmaceutical business what are the outcomes pharma companies looking for we want to get more access to patients right we want to produce more medicines especially the unmet need that can basically go and meet the need of the patients right so patient is the is the end goal what kind of outcome i want right so you know want to access more patients we want to produce more medicines that's kind of out, outcome is there right so that's one type of let's say somebody's amazon retail business right they want to sell more more customer they want to acquire right if a retail industry uh customer growth uh more revenue i mean that's true for the pharmaceutical company as well the point i'm trying to make is that your data strategy should be driven by what is the business outcome that industry or domain is trying to figure it out so literally for any outcome you want the data can be leveraged what is the retail industry what the outcome you're looking for pharmaceutical technology company um to do that but your strategy will remain the same all those pillars i talked about those will still apply but you're using a data in a different fashion to get to the outcome that is basically target for that industry i think that makes sense uh, so we we have discussed about data strategy or data analytics uh one key piece which comes out of it which we have discussed very briefly is data products as you mentioned and i'm quite passionate about that uh so i want to again from your experience uh what do you think how would you define a data product and you know when you have to do like building the roadmap so how do you go about building the roadmap for different data products but also seeing a bigger picture and mm. that how they would come together because in one of the for for data governance there could be a different data product for data science it could be different right but they all have to like fit together to deliver a business value uh, so how do you do that and also there can be scenarios that you know your different data products have different level of maturity you have a pretty good data engineering arm and they have like sophisticated data products but you're fairly new in data science so you don't have the products or even in data governance and how do you manage that so i want to learn from that yeah no so the very simple terms data product when we say that is could be any type of <clears throat> application um that is either using you know ai ml and pure analytics function it doesn't have to be uh, ai ml driven as such that can basically help in the decision making process to get the outcome and outcome is really important right so end of the day i think we want to make sure that whatever we're developing it is delivering the outcome we're looking for and helping the decision making process <clears throat> so the reason we we say the product is like any other product the way we treat it it has its own life cycle primarily i think if you think any time we have a digital transformation we treat them as a project meaning you start from this date and you deliver the solution and go away and do something else well unnecessarily unfortunately sorry it doesn't work that way 
anytime you develop a product, you can never meet 100% need of the users right from the beginning in the first release, right? You go with what is the critical piece and that's where the roadmap basically comes into play. So if I'm not gonna deliver everything user wants and sometimes things evolve. So if I talk to the business users and customers and I say, what is your challenge? What can we solve today? They may not know all the things really at right in the beginning, right? Things are evolving. Once we give them a piece of a tool, a product, and they say, hmm, how about this? How about that, right? So it's a very evolving process. So if you have a life cycle, and that's the reason the whole product is, for any other product is that you can never end. It has its own life cycle. And you have to make sure that once you implement it, somebody's taking the in charge of that. It's a handover to some a team that is continuously basically working on that, right? So think about data product is nothing but you are solving a set of business problems, one or more business problems. Business problem never happens at isolated location. It is not a single point. If you look at the value chain, somebody upstream causing the problems and some one down the stream is getting impacted by the business problem, right? So when we look into the problem, you need to be talking to the persona group up the top and in the bottom of the value chain, also vertically up and down. And one of the philosophy of the product is that you want to serve the highest amount of customer users from a single product. That's your goal, right? You're not developing 10, 10 things, you know, a 10 different version of the same product, right? So unless we talk to the entire value chain, understand their need, what's their importance is, capture those business stories, right? And I'm calling a business user stories, not the user story in, in agile methodology um, to do that. So you collect all the business stories in the persona group, right in the entire value chain. You focus on release one, which is the most critical group that we want to serve, right? And then there are other group of people that we want to serve in the next release and the next release, right? Which one is going to deliver more value right away? So when it comes to defining the roadmap, it's what is important to the business next 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, one year plan, two year plan, and three year plan. And sometimes maturity is needed because your solution needs the infrastructure built as well, right? So it is not available today, but in two years plan, we want to put the robust infrastructure to support the larger audience that we're trying to do, right? So that comes in the play as well. So I would say when you define the roadmap, it is based on what is the persona group we are to serve the product is going to be rolled out. Obviously, there has to be a roadmap. We talked about the change management, right? So think about you don't want to be implementing a solution to the entire company in one go because the support needed is not going to be there, right? So you want to take approach where you can consume or users can consume the change or handle the change side by side, department by department, and you basically roll it out. And that's another roadmap you want to see that which side we want to roll out first and, and so on, right? So those are some of the regions you want to have the roadmap. Impact, uh, uh, how do you want to take the side by side? What are the group of people interested? Who do we serve? in the entire value chain, right? That's good, another criteria to break it down. So I think those are the key elements in defining the roadmap. Yeah, one of the critical point you raised, which often gets overlooked is change management. 
because we, we we focus on jazzy stuff or other stuff and the change management often gets lost and that's when the users suffer because you know we haven't thought about it carefully we don't have resources enough to handle uh, as we are t- talking about data products uh, i'm going to focus on the data science product specifically i know you led an ai ml data driven product that also won a manufacturing leadership award so i wanted to know more about that if you can share yeah no i mean that's a that's really a privilege to to have that kind of accolade um so the the product that we talked about is is called automated vision inspection uh, internally we we call it a hawk avi um and I, so there's there's a consortium called manufacturing leadership association where there there are 14000 manufacturers around the globe are member of it each year uh these companies basically come back and and showcase what they have done especially you know different categories of that right ai ml is one but there are different kind of digital solution in automation is another area as well so we basically a part of that and in in that there are pharmaceutical company are kind of showcasing their their products there are cisco ibms they are doing their automation um piece in manufacturing space so we had a entry for this particular uh um solution that i led um and uh luckily we we won actually so it's really good to to have that and there's whole set of criteria i think it was <clears throat> if you think about the manufacturing you know people think hmm how can you where are you applying ai in manufacturing i cannot even comprehend it what exactly are you basically doing right so it brings something different in you know automation is one but having ai ml is just picking up in the manufacturing space and that is something uh, a very novel idea uh, we are trying to implement within merck and i we are not i won't call it that we we have gone to the maturity level that we want to be it's just the beginning of the journey there's so much to do uh, in that space and definitely there are challenges that we are trying to solve um but that's where how we won that award um in that uh, association thanks for sharing that really interesting to know about it uh and this leads to uh, it's a good segue to my next question uh, on the data science products uh, which i'm intrigued to know specifically in life science space so what kind of data science products or ai ml are there in life science space and could you share about the role of data ai ml products in life science organizations because that's something i have no experience and i haven't mm. looked at any case studies or use cases yeah no I, i it is happening all over the place with it, with the pharmaceuticals so let's so if you think about we got r and d right and i'll talk about some of the use cases there then we got you know uh, manufacturing and supply chain and then we got sales and marketing organization in pharmaceuticals right so let me pick up um manufacturing itself uh and how we are data science products you know we're thinking so we talk about the automated vision inspection right so the idea for that is that um you know merk is making products that we cannot meet the demand so while the new facility are being in put in place what can we do in order to improve our yield you know on onto the production floor so same resources but let's improve the yield right how ai ml can basically play the role 
So that's exactly what this particular product is that improving the yield on the production side of it. The other area that manufacturing that you see in supply chain, right? So as you know, in this point of time, supply chain is a big, big problem, right? Can we develop some AI ML models basically to predict something is what can happen in the supply chain and you take an action in much more in advance, right? So that's another area that is basically getting explored. Uh, utility management, right? So, so think about how much energy are we consuming in the manufacturing plant? Uh, what kind of uh, model we can develop there to reduce that you know, footprint, carbon footprint as well, right? So uh, those are some of the areas uh, within manufacturing that AI, ML, data science products are getting developed, right? If you move the R&D, huge clinical side, so real world evidence. So right now, you know, majority of the pharmaceutical companies are trying to, uh, you know, whatever the products they have in the market, can we gain insight from the real world evidence, meaning the patient's data, the hospital data, the lab data. Is there anything else in that data that tells us that this particular product can be used for something else, right? And you take that insights and, um, basically develop that type of uh, apl application for the different use cases, right? Go to the FDA that, hey, based on this data, we can see that this indication can help in different type of disease as well while it's serving the main, right? So you want to maximize that data, uh, real world evidence, secondary data to basically do that, right? So huge in AI ML taking place in that. Sales marketing, right? So the customers, where do we basically where can we maximize our, where put the dollar and sales and marketing we can maximize the revenue on that, right? So this whole AIML space taking place as well, right? right? So I would say that's very, in almost all business domains, the data science products are playing a big role in pharmaceutical industry. Right. I want to change the gears. Uh, I know we have discussed about analytics, strategy, uh, data products. I want to move towards more on the leadership side or the team side. Uh, you have led so many cross-functional teams in your career now, and how how do you think you know, or what does it take to build a high-performance data science team specifically uh, in your experience? Uh, that is such a great question, and I can tell you the talent is 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 a battle right now, right? So we better take care of the talent, otherwise talent is going to leave us, and then you know. Um, I can be successful only if I have a strong team. It is not me basically, you know, delivering everything that is needed, right? I can play a role, but the teams are there. So I think one in my philosophy says that the talent should be the high priority. Think about from talent point of view, why somebody want to stay with my team, my, with the company that I basically work for, what is in their interest? Almost every talent loves ch getting challenged, right? Especially data scientists. If you can just give them a challenge, something to solve, they'll be all over it, right? So how do you want to keep them basically engaged? The second element I would say is that the growth potential, right? In this age, you know, uh, everybody is looking growth. So, okay, I'm here, I am basically, you know, delivering the solution, what is my career ladder looks like? 
right? So if they have a motivation that they can see themselves two, four, five years down the line, then you got to basically uh, motivation to keep them, right? And I think other way to, you know, having a talent piece is the mentorship. Whatever we are maturity, you know, I can tell you I'm learning. I'm, I'm getting mentored. I have people that I look up to and go and ask, you know, if I have a scenario. Think apply for the mentorship. So I think we want to make sure that we understand their aspirations. Where do they want to go? It's really critically important. What do they want in their career? If somebody joins a data scientist, maybe they have changed their mind. They want to do something else. I think we want to really think and understand their aspirations and help them into that, um, their aspiration to do that, right? Mentorship is one way, is, is really has helped uh, people that are my team members that I, I know, and I spend a lot of time mentoring, um, not only my team, but even outside my team, basically to, to do that. So in order to having the high performing, you know, my leadership style is delegate and you know, communicate. I would say communicate and delegate. What I mean by that, majority of the time, the team members are not able to perform, our teams are not able to perform because they don't have a clarity where we are heading with the work they're doing. So let's say I'm developing a data science product. I got a team of people. Do they have they bought into idea that this particular product is going to deliver the business value for the company? Are they convinced, right? Then I convince them, say, okay, nine to five job, I'll come and do whatever you ask me to do, I'll do it, right? So having a clarity in the mindset is really, really important. And the second um, you know, uh, element is their confidence. So they maybe they have bought into the company you know, uh, objectives and where the company is headed, but they're not confident they can contribute, right? So let's understand that so understand, and make sure that they get the confidence in order to deliver that. So once they understand what the objective of the company where we're heading to, and they're confident that they, yes, they got the skill set to meet that need, boom, we got together and that's what it is. So communicating the vision for a data products where the company is heading, where this particular data product can meet the role and giving them what they need for the success and giving them a confidence is what will keep them engaged. And of course, you know, uh, making sure their career ladder compensation is a big discussion almost every company right so you know uh, data scientists are generally based on the data they're living every two years right so you, that's another element challenge for the company is how do you want to keep compensation at least with the marketplace to keep them aside right so so those are the factors that can basically have a high performing team and basically develop them and retain them all right you, you touched on all the aspects which were running in my mind or I had, I was thinking about it as you were speaking uh, or, you know, what I, where I wanted to, the conversation to go, but you touched on everything. So we have covered a lot of uh, things and it's a great learning for me in terms of, you know, if I get a chance or when I lead, which I used to lead the data science analytics team, it's a great learning as well. Uh, one last question, uh, which I usually ask to every guest on Inspired is uh, one life lesson that you would like to share with people from your experience. Yeah, no, thank you so much uh, for even that giving the journey. So I would say that um, 
I at least I have, and I'll talk about my personal journey is that I have always transformed myself. I have a lifelong learner. I spend at least seven to eight hours a week just the learning things. And it might be out of my work, right? So the life lesson I'll give is that transform yourself you, and the technology is shifting. So even though you are not in data science field, you are a regular person, one day having a data literacy program is going to come to you, right? So you reinvent yourself and see what is happening, right? And data is going to play the bigger role, even if you are not a data scientist today, you are a less a finance manager, a supply chain manager. One day, you have to rely on the data in your day-to-day -day work, right? So you got to be basically learning wherever you are in your journey of the file to do that. Um, and those people who are want to make a career in data science, I speak on that particular topic as well. If you want to get in the data science field, it is never late. No matter which part of your career you are, you you can do it. And I, you know, I'm happy to basically, you know, share some of the work if somebody wants to uh, contact me and and get some you know guidance. Um, so that's another area that we need a lot of data people, and uh, and and there's a way to do it. And it is not impossible for someone to get in the data science field as long as they have a determination and mentorship where to get there. How to get there? Um, I think they can do it. Sure. You you mentioned about uh, you also, you know, have uh, you do mentorship outside your organization as well. Uh, and so, where can people connect with you? Uh, and you know, if anyone is looking for mentorship, getting to getting into data analytics or data uh, science space, uh, they want to get in touch with you. Yeah. So LinkedIn is definitely a professional uh, network. Um, people can reach out. Uh, through the LinkedIn. Uh, I am also on Medium and also towards datascience.com. Um, uh, I'm there as well. So, I mean, those are the couple of forums that, you know, if someone really needs some guidance, I'm happy to, to help. Sounds good. So, thank you so much, Vijay, uh, for being with us and sharing your experience. I had, I think the conversation was really intriguing. It was good learning for me as well. Uh, so, uh, thank you for coming. Thank you so much, Arish, and it was so great talking to you. Uh, and many thanks, everyone, for tuning in today. If you know someone who you think we should interview, or if you would like to connect with me, drop me a line on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. I hope you have an amazing day. Stay happy, stay healthy, and be inspired. <laughs>